Thank you for listening to the preaching ministry of Oxford Baptist Church with our pastor, Andy Brown. We pray you'll be blessed as you apply these truths to your life. You take your Bible, please, and join me in Matthew chapter 5. And this is the 25th week that we have been in our study in the Gospel of Matthew. 25 weeks. And we have made it all the way today to verse 13 of chapter 5. Now, my president at Southeastern Seminary, when he was teaching us how to preach, he told us, he said, only preach a one-verse sermon every now and then. Well, I'm on week 10 or 11 this week, so we'll be looking today in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 13. So I hope that you'll find your way over to Matthew 5, and I hope that you're enjoying this study as much as I am. If you've missed some of these weeks, I want to encourage you that every sermon that I've preached pretty much since I've been here is online at OxfordBaptistChurch.com. Every sermon from this series is online at Oxford Baptist Church. You see that picture there in front of you. You can find every one of the sermons there, as well as manuscripts. Sometimes it's a lot easier because I'm Southern and I talk rather slow. Some of you talk slower than I do. Don't grin too much. It's easier to read through them than to listen to it. So it's all there available, hopefully, for your sanctification, for God's glory. And hopefully you can use those in not only your life, but in the lives of someone else. So hope you're enjoying the sermon study. So I want to show you this morning... Back to that other picture. I'm going to show you uh, uh, pictures this morning that, uh, as far as I know, these pictures are genuine. They've not been photoshopped. Just something that I ran across the other day. And these pictures really show, I think, someone who really knows how to do a job very well. Look at that first picture there. Aren't you impressed by that wonderful job of filling the soap dispenser? Look, let's look at the next one. Look at this guy. Here's a branch laying in the road. You've got the, uh, the, the team coming to pave the road. Hey, you know, who has time to move the branch over? You've got this one, of course. Let's just go ahead and just pave right over it. What about the next one? Let's see the next one. Look at this poor guy. They told him several times to move his car, but unfortunately he, well, I guess he just didn't get the memo. What about this one? Don't you, salt and pepper, right? I guess they're trying to keep it. And look at those pictures and think about it just for a minute. These pictures, they're, they're funny to us, but could you just imagine if we were the foreman or the boss telling this individual to do the job, or if we, yeah, the foreman in the audience says, mm, or if we could, uh, if we were the, the clients that were receiving this job done on our behalf. From this list, would you say that someone completed their responsibility, or they shirked their responsibility? Which one would you say? I'd say that they probably dropped the ball on the responsibility that they had. You know that one of the ways that the world suffers, think about this with me for just a moment, one of the ways that the world suffers is when good people do nothing. Edmund Burke, he said this, the only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. Now you and I know what we say about people who are good who do nothing. We call them good for nothing. This morning, our Lord does not want us to be good for nothing. He has called us for a purpose. He has set us apart in this world to fulfill a purpose. And that purpose that he calls us to is to actually do good in the world. So let's think just for a moment. We're Christians, and at least I assume that uh, most of us are here today. I'm a Christian pastor, and so let's think in terms of revelation. 
Let's think in terms of the word that we've received from God. What is the best good that can be done for the world? The best good that can be done for the world is a good that has already been done, listen carefully, and is being done. Christ has come. And in that coming that we celebrate every time we gather, every time we breathe, really, Christ has come, and in that coming, He has come to reform humanity. And the way that He came to reform humanity is the glory of the gospel. The way that He came to reform humanity was through His self-giving of Himself for our sake on the cross. So His entire ministry is about one thing. Jesus' entire ministry, His coming, His living, His dying, His rising, His going to glory, and His coming again is really just about one thing. And that is reforming the world so that we can enjoy fellowship with Him. Reforming the world so that we can enjoy fellowship with Him. That's what we've been looking at in the Gospel of Matthew. That's what we've been looking at these many weeks now in the Sermon on the Mount. And we'll be in the Sermon on the Mount a a bunch more weeks. But we're looking at that and we're seeing. And and I want to always keep this before you because I don't want to just be someone up here talking. I want you to get it. And I hope that we are together. Christ is reforming humanity to Himself. Look at the sermon for just a minute. Look in chapter 5 where we see the beginning of the sermon. Notice these eight statements of blessedness called the Beatitudes. It's easy to spot the Beatitudes because they all begin with the same phrase. Blessed, 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 blessed. And it goes down the list and it names those blessed statements eight times. But look at those statements that we have just labored over these past ten weeks or so to look at these Beatitudes. These are amazing qualities of those who have been born again. These are the qualities of the twice born. Now, these are the qualities of a life that is formed through the cross. Now look at these statements just for a minute. We've got the poor in spirit, the mournful, the meek, those who are hungering and thirsting for righteousness, the merciful, the pure in heart, the peacemakers, and of course, the persecuted. But not just any persecution, those who are persecuted for the right reasons, those who are upholding justice even if it costs them their own physical comforts. That's what persecution for righteousness means. So look at this list here. Wouldn't we agree that the world needs these characteristics? Every one of these statements is a statement of the need that the world has, and I hope that we all agree there. Because this is the entire reason for Jesus' coming. God has come from heaven to seek and to save us. He has come from heaven to give us what we need to restore us to fellowship with Himself. And these Beatitudes are intended to permeate the entire earth. These Beatitudes are intended to fill the whole world. And then so you say, okay, if that's Jesus' intentions, to fill the whole world with what the world needs, and if what the world needs are these Beatitudes, how in the world is this message going to get out? I'm glad that you asked that. Because the way that this message is going to get out, here's the good part, is through you and me. And this is so amazing. I don't understand this. God could have done anything that He wanted. 
He could have taken his flaming sword and written a message in the sky that could have burned for 10,000 years. He could have sent an angel, and he does in some cases, send angels to certain people, but his plan to get his message of redemption to the world is you and me. And at the end of the Beatitudes, notice this, Jesus gives us two words about our responsibility. We're going to look at them in two weeks. Two different messages. Two words about our responsibility. He calls us salt and light. And today, we look at the salt of the earth. So let's read the Bible. Understanding what came before, Matthew chapter 5, 1 through 12. And let's just look today at verse 13. Hear the word of our Lord. You, you are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, we love you. Help us to learn you from this word. In Jesus' name, amen. So by calling us salt of the earth, You know what Jesus is saying to us? He is saying to us that He intends for you and I to have influence in our society. Now don't miss this. This is a good place for us to just saturate our minds for just a moment. We are intended by God to have an influence for good in our world. There is no room for a quiet Christianity. There is no room for simply just a personal religion. One of the biggest lies that we are taught to believe, and maybe some of us have already fallen into this, and hopefully we can correct that, or our Lord will correct that. One of the biggest lies that we have bought into as a society of Christians is that our relationship with God is purely personal. And see, this is what's so good about other cultures. We live in a society that has its roots in the Enlightenment. One of the uh, factors of the Enlightenment back in the day was this individualism. Nothing wrong with having a personal relationship with Jesus. Every one of us needs to have a personal relationship with Jesus. But it's not just about our personal relationship with God. Individualism, there's no room for a simply personal religion. There's no room, Jesus says, for a quiet religion. Each of us, let me emphasize this again because I don't want you to misunderstand me. Each one of us are called to and have the privilege of having a personal and an intimate relationship with Jesus. He is our beloved and our beloved is ours. But that does not mean that you and I get to keep quiet about it. Let me see if this will help you. I love my wife. Every time I look at her, really... It's like I love her even more. It's, it's amazing. Some of you guys, you understand. Some of you ladies, you understand. And when she takes care of my children, when I see her doing little things, I, I love my wife. I'm going to declare it publicly, and as often as I can, I'm going to tell the world that I love, yes, baby, your face is turning red, I love my wife. No way that I could ever keep quiet about it. And in many ways, it's true, this lady over here has rescued me in more ways than one. And it's the same way that I love my wife, but this love really needs to be guided by others. If I were to be talking ugly to my wife, I would expect somebody to come up and say, Andy, you don't really mean that. You you shouldn't say that to your wife. And 
So in some ways, we have this love, but this love, even though I love her personally, this love that I have for her needs to be guided by something externally to teach me how to love her. I'll tell you an example of this. On our three-month anniversary, this is not marriage, this is dating, all right? Three months. Oh, we celebrate it. Listen, you better celebrate it. I know, we're crazy in love, but three months, our anniversary, I decided to put a little scavenger hunt together for her. And so I took her to three different locations, and all, I was doing my best to win the girl, and I, I got her, praise the Lord. So this, all three locations were someplace that was very significant. She was to read this little thing from me, she would go to this location, and she'd find a rose there. So we went to the, uh, the place where we had you know, our great talks on the front lawn of Tripp McConnell University. We, she found a rose there. Then she went up to the first place that we kissed. There was a, a, at the cross of Tripp McConnell. Under the, under, this is beautiful, men. Underneath the foot of the cross is where me and my wife had our first kiss. It was fantastic. Anyway, I'll tell you that story maybe another time. So she found a rose. And so the third location was a little bit of a distance. And it required her driving. It was a place that we enjoyed hiking and those kind of things with our friends. And so my buddy was driving me up to this location. Here I am, you know, I've got the rose. I'm dressed real nice and I'm waiting and I'm, I'm sort of in the woods waiting for her. And I'm driving up there and with my buddy. And my buddy says, so what's after this? I said, what do you mean what's after this? He said, what's the prize? And I looked at him sort of scoffed. And I said, I am the prize. What are you talking about? And he told me, he, said, he sort of looked at me sort of scourly, and he said, you need to take the girl out to eat. I said, okay. So I took her out to eat, and uh, the long story short, we, she got there, we embraced. We, I looked at her, and I said, well, would you like to go out to eat? And she said, yes, I would. And so I gave her the rose, we embraced, I took her out to dinner. And I needed my friend in my life to tell me how to better love this lady. And in the same way, we as believers, we don't need to be quiet about what we love. We need to learn how we can express that love. And the way that God has called us to express our love is in community. Now, I want to say this just for a moment. And I hope, I hope that this really sinks in. And I hope that this is the way that you read the Bible. When we read this, the Bible says of itself, it says that it is a living word. Listen carefully. This is not just a book about something that happened out then. This is a book about a living Christ. This is about a book of one who is alive and seated at the right hand of the Father and will one day come to judge the living and the dead. And we're reading through Matthew. And you say, well, where is Matthew? Matthew's not in some grave somewhere. Matthew is absent from the body, present with the Lord. In some way today, and this is the mystery of what we're doing here, in some way when we read the Bible, we are joining ourselves to a community of saints. We are joining ourselves to not only the community of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit, but we are joining ourselves with this book that the entire society of Christians hold as sacred. It is the living Word. I need dating tips. We all need to know how we are to tell the world about Jesus in the most effective way. So God has called us. He has equipped us. And God is forming us right now to be His force of good in the world. 
God is calling you, believer, wherever you are. It doesn't matter where you are. There's no such thing as an insignificant life as long as you're living it for Jesus. He is calling you. He's calling me. He's calling all of us together wherever we are. He's equipped us. He's sealed us. He's formed us all so that we could be influential in this world for Jesus. So you say, well, what kind of influence? Our influence that we're supposed to have is our entire lives bearing witness to the grace and love of Jesus. We are the salt of the earth. Now listen closely this morning. I hope that you're taking notes. The weakest ink is stronger than the strongest memory. So I hope that you're taking notes. Get a pen ready. What I want to do from this one verse is give you four ways from this one word, salt, that Jesus is calling us to be influential in our society. So number one, by saying that we are the salt of the earth, Jesus is calling us, number one, to preserve our society. Now, salt is not only used here to describe the Christian. When Jesus uses the word salt, he is using it to describe the world where the Christian is applied. Now, there's a philosophy out there, and I hope that we won't buy into it, but the philosophy is that things are getting better, that everything is just moving along, things are getting better. We're really tempted especially in the world that we live in today with our iPhones and iPads and Androids and all the rest, to, to believe that, you know, someday technology is going to save us. Or someday medicine and, and science is going to save us. But I want to tell you this, that just so that we're all clear in thinking, we want to develop a biblical worldview. Most of the theories out there that say that things are going to get better are based upon a theory of evolution and are not the teachings of Scripture. The world is fallen. And there's a lot of good in the world, but the best that the world can give is nothing in compared with the glory that Christ is bringing to the world. The world is fallen. The world is sinful. The world is decaying. And the Bible says that the only thing that will make the world truly better is when Jesus comes back. Now, if we believe that, we have to believe that, but we don't want to take it to the extreme. We don't want to buy into another philosophy. And everything's with balance. I love the Ecclesiastes. It says, there's so many things for us to balance. It says, just fear the Lord and you'll come away with both of them. So, yes, the world's fallen. Yes, the world's sin sinful. Yes, the world is decaying. But we don't want to take that to the extreme and just say, oh, well, let's just go burn down the rainforest. Let's not care about the earth. Let's, we don't want to take it to that extreme either. We want to have regard for the earth as opposed to what some people may say, but we also don't want to have a story or any kind of theory of engaging the world that avoids evangelism. The world's desperate need is not a hot meal, although there may be someone who's hungry. The world's desperate need is not poverty, though there is a solution for poverty. The world's desperate need is Jesus Christ, and we have to preach, if we're being faithful to Scripture, Jesus Christ as the sole satisfaction for souls. So, the world's need is Jesus until He comes. Jesus has called us to be the salt of the earth. So, think about salt for just a minute. Now, we don't know much about salt because we just use it to flavor our food, but salt had another purpose back in the days before refrigeration. Before refrigeration, salt was used to keep meat from going bad. It was used to keep meat from putrefying. In the same way, 
we show the world the way to blessedness. In the same way God has called us to be that agent of blessedness that keeps the world from going worse. So look close attention here. Look at where we have verse 13. Verse 13 comes after the section of the Beatitudes. So in other words, what is the Lord telling us? It's saying that we are the poor in spirit. We are those who are merciful. We are the meek. We are the ones thirsting after righteousness. Also, our Lord can then take our lives and use us as the salt of the earth. You see, the Lord uses our witness. He uses our testimony. He uses our lives on display so that the world can look and see, so that by being who we are, we can remind the world that there is a day that is drawing near when the Lord will come, and when He's coming, He's going to judge the living and the dead. That's our purpose. So God has called us, in the midst of all of this rottenness and decay, in the midst of this world that's dead, God has called us to be an agent of good. Now think about this just for a minute. And I hope that we can hear this. I hope that we can sense the concern that our Lord has for the world. God cares for the world. Even if that world is one day going to have to be totally remade and reformed for whatever reason in His will and His purpose and His wisdom, He has not yet reformed the earth. For whatever reason, He allows things to unfold. And this is so mysterious why there's so much evil in the world and we can ask all those kind of questions. But for whatever reason, God has not yet put the brakes on this world. He is, for whatever reason, still allowing these things to happen. And in the midst of His allowing these things to happen, we understand that He still cares for the world. He cares for the world so much that He has put an agent of restraint in the world. Now, we call this, God's concern for the world, we call this common grace. Let me see if I can explain it to you. When a farmer who's a Christian needs rain, and his neighbor who is a Muslim needs rain, and they both pray for rain, the Christian prays to Yahweh, the Muslim prays to Allah. And then the rain comes on both fields. Who is it that sent the rain? Yahweh sent the rain. Why did He send the rain? He sent the rain because of the Christian prayer. Now listen, both of those fields need rain. And God sends rain upon both fields. This is what Hebrews says. He sends rain, and this is what Jesus is going to say later in Matthew, He sends rain on the just and the unjust. The Lord is kind to the world, Paul is going to say, because in His kindness there is a desire from God to take this world and lead it to repentance. So here we have this this Muslim guy and this uh, Christian guy. They're both of them who are praying for rain. Both of them receive the rain. And how in the world will people discern the difference? Because there is a difference. And the reason that there is a difference is because Jesus said so. If a guy can tell you that he's going to suffer at the hands of the Romans, he's going to bleed, and he's going to die, and then he's going to rise again, and he says that before he's dead, and then after death he comes back to life, whatever he says, you can believe. 
This is why there's a difference. Jesus makes all the difference. And so who in the world is going to tell them that there is a difference? Someone has to tell them who it is that gives every good and perfect gift. God loves the world so much that He has put restraints in our society to preserve it. Very quickly, let me say this. There are several restraints that God has put. He's ordained two institutions that come to my mind. He's ordained the state to put restraints on the, the world's evil, as well as He has put the home in the world to restrain the world from evil. But let me just say this. And both of those institutions, as we think about it, and this is another sermon, both of those institutions are under attack at this time, trying to undo what God has done to put restraints into the world. But listen closely and listen loudly. There is one, one ordained institution that God uses most powerfully to serve as the restraint in society. There is one institution that He uses to serve most powerfully as the restraint in society, and it is the blood-bought, spirit-filled people called church. That's what he uses. Now as citizens in this world who are part of the church, we have a responsibility individually to be salt in our society. And I hope that we can understand the difference. I hope that we're all listening close to this. I hope that we can understand the difference. Listen carefully. Listen carefully. The church does not play politics. The church shouldn't care if you're a Democrat or if you're a Republican. The church shouldn't care if you're a communist or a capitalist. The primary function of the church is to proclaim the gospel for the salvation of souls. And so we share this message of salvation with everyone. Republican, Democrat, capitalist, communist, Tea Party, whoever else. Because the church's responsibility, the church's mandate before God is to care about the holiness of God and to care about how that holiness is detracted by sin. And we will speak to sin from any manifestation, whether it's Republican, if it's Democrat, if it's rich, if it's poor. The church's responsibility is to proclaim Christ as a satisfaction of souls. Let me just speak politically just for a moment. Funny how I said that after I just said what I said. Let me just speak politically just for a moment. And I see so much confusion. This is a Southern Baptist church. We're in the Southern Baptist Convention. We have aligned ourselves with, uh, with the purpose of other churches to evangelize the world. And for those of you who follow Southern Baptist politics, maybe some of you don't, there's so much confusion here. We have a, a branch of, of our entity called Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission. And there's so much confusion. There's this guy that I really like. All cards on the table. His name is Russell Moore. Well, there's this other group that's decided that they want to see Russell Moore fired because he didn't support Donald Trump in his campaign. And I see so much confusion here from our convention over the controversy with Russell Moore. And let's be honest this morning. When a political party makes certain issues of sin, like homosexuality and abortion, part of their platform, we who have been declared righteous we need to pay attention and we need to speak out. I hope that you have such a focus on the kingdom that you won't... Let me say this as well, but equally so. Let me say this. Let me not leave out anyone else. But equally so. When a political party gives little regard for the poor or for the underserved, we as Christians have to speak out. 
And I hope that we as believers, I hope that we have such a focus on the kingdom that we as believers, we won't fully agree with or align with anyone in any political arena. But I hope that our allegiance is because we're formed by the Word of God and that transcends everything else. I hope that our allegiance will be with Jesus and His kingdom coming first and everything else and everyone else will fall secondary to that. We have one message to the world and it's not be a Republican. One message to the world, and it's not be a Democrat. The message that we have for the world is be a blood-bought, born-again believer. Listen to Robert Louis Wilkin. By the way, we're reading him today, for those of you who are interested in coming, at 3.30. Robert Louis Wilkin, listen to what he says in the book that we're reading together as a church. He says this, the church, listen close, this is so good. The church is not an instrument to achieve any other ends than fellowship with God. It serves society by being unapologetically itself and by bearing witness to the justice that alone makes human community possible, the justice that's due God. The greatest gift the church can give society is a glimpse, however fleeting, of another city where the angels keep eternal festival before the face of God. And I hope that we learn to understand the difference. You and I, listen carefully, as members of the church, are called to have great and powerful impact on society. Now there's some theology called fundamentalism that teaches a pullback from society. Pull back. But the command of our Lord here, He calls us the salt of the earth. He tells us to run into society. He tells us to engage society. But if we're going to have influence in the society, then we have to come at it from the right angle. We have to come at it from the angle that our Lord is telling us. And how do we do that? Look at the text. You are the salt of the earth. So what is Jesus saying? He's telling us the, the right angle that we engage the world. Think about salt for just a minute. Salt is unlike anything else in this world. There's nothing in this world like salt. So then, how can we have influence in our world? Do we do it from the top down? Or do we have, we have influence from the inside out? Or is it from the outside in? Listen to this. Jesus, listen closely. Jesus, who came from above, who came from the outside in, calls us individuals who are in the world to be the salt of the earth. We who are inside the world have been and are being transformed into an image of one who is outside the world. And so then we then, who are in the world, who've received something from the outside, we then pour the life that we have received out into wherever we are. Listen, no matter where we are, as long as we are not with Him physically, everywhere that we go needs salt. And we, the Lord says, we are salt of the earth. Now pay attention. Salt. Not honey. 
not sugar. Salt. By the way, those words were available if our Lord wanted to use them. But He calls us the salt of the earth. Pour salt into a wound and what happens? There's a little bit of a sting, isn't there? Pour salt into a wound and there's a little bit of a burning effect. And this burning effect is part of our calling. Number two this morning. As the salt of the earth, number two, not only do we preserve our society, we purify our society. And I love the way that Mark, when he records this, Mark, when he records this saying of the Lord, he records it by mentioning fire. Listen to what he says. Everyone will be salted with fire. So when Christians are serving the world through being salt, there will inevitably be occasions, inevitably be occasions where the message that we proclaim stings. The Bible says that we will be an aroma of life to those who are being saved, an aroma to death to those who are perishing. Follow this. When we speak the living Word of God into a dead and a decaying world, there will inevitably be a stinging effect. But our faithful charge is to do whatever we can do for the sake of the Gospel, no matter the consequences. This is why before we learn that we're the salt of the earth, Jesus says, go ahead and expect persecution. Sometimes salt stings. But that's our charge. It's to be the salt of the earth. No matter where we are, we are to be the salt of the earth. We do whatever we can do to win some. It's important for us to remember who we are. John Stott, I agree with what he said. He said, probably the greatest tragedy throughout the church's long and checkered history has been its constant tendency to conform to the prevailing culture instead of developing a Christian counterculture. And there are many today who they want to take the sting out of the gospel. There's even one denomination that I know of just has made recent news. They went to these hymn writers who wrote a song that talks about the wrath of God being satisfied. And they didn't like the idea. And by the way, that's the doctrine of propitiation. That's that word that we always skip over. Like, what's that word? That's what that means. Christ has satisfied the wrath of God. And so this denomination, they, want, they didn't like the idea of a wrathful God. And so they wanted to take that line out or, or ask the hymn writers if they would rewrite it. Well, thankfully, the hymn writers held their ground. And they didn't rewrite the song, and so the denomination's choice was just to simply leave it out of their hymn book. So there's all kinds of individuals that they want to take the sting out of the gospel, but Jesus has called us to be the salt of the earth, and sometimes salt stings. And as Adrian Rogers used to say, no offense means no effect. We are the salt of the earth. Listen carefully, the world may not know how to define gender, but we do. The world may not know how to define marriage, but we do. The world may not know how to care for the orphan or the widow, but we do. The world may not know how to care for the unborn, but we do. The world may not know how to care for the elderly, but we do. The world may not know what to do and how to welcome the refugee, but we do. The world may not know how to care for the poor, the sick, the dying, but we do. You know how we do? We're not standing from some pedestal saying this is what we do. We are those who have received a word from God. And His word makes all the difference. How do we know? We know because 
He has taught us. And He has called us and this society that's so confused to be the salt of the earth. One of my favorite stories in all of the Bible is Elisha and Elijah. I love that story. Here's Elisha, who is the protege of the great prophet Elijah. You remember, here is the, the chariots coming to get Elijah. And Elisha, he said, what do you want? And so Elisha said, I want a double portion of whatever that guy had. I want double. And he gets the double portion. And I love the first place that the Lord sends him. The first place that the Lord sends this man who has a double portion of the greatest prophet that they lived during that time, He sends him to Jericho. And the Bible says in Jericho, it says that the land was unfruitful and the water was bitter. That's a great place for us to go minister. You want to be a pastor? First place you go and the Lord sends you to is a place where there's no fruit and the water, you can't even drink it. But you know what God used Elijah to do? God used Elijah to heal the land. And you know how He healed the land? Read the story in 2 Kings. He poured salt into the polluted waters. And out of the barren and the bitter land came blessedness. All because salt was added. This is the charge of our Lord. For you and for me to be the salt of the earth and to purify our society. The next aspect that I want us to think about is, is, let's think about this, since being salt of the earth is so good, I think that we should understand our next point, number three, is the salt of the earth. Not only do we purify, but we also season our society. And this is where we have to be very clear, because some people have all this wrong ideas about what it means to be a Christian. They, they think that Christians are just these joyless people who have no message of anything other than gloom and, and doom. And some of us, let's be honest, we really don't help it out because we walk around sullen face with our lips poked out like we have no joy about us, even of ourselves. And Jesus is calling us not to live a bland and flavorless life. Jesus is calling us to be the salt of the earth. Salt preserves. Salt purifies. But salt also brings flavor. You see, listen carefully. This is the message of Christianity. The message of Christianity is not that there is no satisfaction. Listen. The message of Christianity is that there is every satisfaction in Jesus because there is only one person who can truly satisfy soul and we know Him. His name is Jesus. And so we look around our world and we see everyone who's groping, everyone who's trying to grab for and gain satisfaction and they're filling their lives with so many things and some of the things that they fill their lives with are not necessarily bad things, but they're filling their lives with these things that will never bring satisfaction. And so they, they think that they're all satisfied, but you know, as my old football coach used to say, good is the greatest enemy of a great and so they fill their lives with all of these things trying to find satisfaction when we go to them and we say because we know that there is no one that satisfies like Jesus and have you been convinced of that yet are you there can you honestly say that before God that there is nothing in your heart that satisfies you like Jesus I hope that God is letting you with your neighbors, with your co-workers, with your family, with your friends who are lost, whatever influence you have, you go to the park and walk around. I hope there's something about you that makes men thirsty. Jesus has called us to be the salt of the earth. I hope that 
when we interact with the outside world, as Paul told the Colossians in chapter 4, that we are letting our speech be always seasoned with grace, seasoned with salt. The world is flavorless. We are the salt of the earth. If what our Lord's saying is true, if, if we're the salt of the earth and this world is in desperate need of salt, don't you think that we should do whatever it takes to get the salt out? Don't you think that we should do whatever it takes to get this message of hope out into the world? Fourthly and finally this morning, Jesus is calling us to permeate our society. He is calling us to go and spread this message to everyone. He's calling the salt out of the shaker. He's calling us to go and spread His message. And I hope that we take the message of the Lord seriously. I hope that we take the Word of the Lord seriously. Look at what He says. Look at verse 13. You are the salt of the earth. That's emphatic. Not anybody else. You. When you read that verse, you and I, if we read it the way that God intends for us to read it, then we have to hold it to ourselves and say, that He's talking to me. You are the salt of the earth. Look at what he says next. And this is the hard part. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? And look at this next word. It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under the foot of men. Jesus says that salt that has lost its flavor is useless. Salt that has lost its flavor is useless. So when we look out into the world and we see decay, we see deterioration, our first reaction shouldn't be to scoff and to blame and react and hold our hands back. Our first reaction should be, where is the salt in that situation? Where's the salt in that situation? Where are the saints that God has called to be the salt of the earth? Where is the influence? Here we just had an incident in Atlanta where a man lit a fire under a bridge and it collapsed. Here a homeless man is. Our first reaction should be, where's the salt? If someone would have reached him with the Gospel. If someone would have fed him when he was hungry, clothed him, maybe we'd still have a bridge on 85. Our first reaction as a society, because this is what our Lord's calling us to, you of the salt. Our first reaction should be when we look and we see these things happening, we should say, where is the salt? We are called as Christians to have influence in this world. We are called to have impact. We are called to take responsibility, to take ownership, to take the message of salvation to whosoever and preach it to them. We are called to permeate every square inch of society with the message that Jesus saves. And I agree with one theologian named Abraham Kuyper when he said there is not one square inch from where the Lord does not declare mine. And that's our reaction to this world. We are the salt of the earth and even if it stings, even if it burns, we would rather go there than be trampled under the feet of men. We are His ambassadors sent into the world and in some cases we are sent as sheep among wolves declaring that a king has come and he is coming and he is ordering all things to himself. And so we go to Hollywood. We go to the school board. 
We go to the courthouse. We go to the White House. We go to Congress. We go to the Senate. We go to our homes as the saints of God. And we declare that there is a King who is risen. Jesus is alive. And one day this Jesus who has come is one day this Jesus who is going to come again. And He's going to judge the living and the dead. And one day every tongue will confess and every knee will bow. And everyone will declare Him as Lord. And so our message is, is why don't you go ahead and start doing it now? Because He is Lord. Now let me just tell you, believer, listen closely. If we permeate the world with our message, it'll mean it will be poured out. This is why our Lord added this word about persecution. In order for salt to be effective, it has to be dispensed. Salt has to dissolve in order for its flavor to be released. And sometimes, God allows persecution so that we will be effective. I remember my pastor, Charles Stanley, telling me, God never called you to be successful. What He called you was to be faithful. No matter the consequences, our call before God is we are the salt of the earth. We have to get out of the shaker. It has, to, it has to be dispensed to be effective. It has to be dissolved to be released. And as one Presbyterian pastor James Boyce said, sometimes it will mean that we will dissolve to our own interest. Sometimes it will mean that we will have to extend ourselves in areas of the world where we don't see many Christians. There may be sometimes as we are dispensed that we feel lonely and even depressed. But it's those moments where the salt is most active in the world. You see, we do all that we do for the glory of God and for the good of others. No matter the consequences to our lives, it's better for us to pour out our lives for the glory of God than for us to be cast out and trampled under the foot of men. Salt is not worthless. But saltless saints Jesus says, are worthless. You, you are the salt of the earth. There is no room this morning for an inferiority complex. Get over yourself. Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. Did you know that back in the day, that in some cases, salt was more valuable than gold? The word salary literally means salt money. Hence, we get the phrase, the man is worth his salt. What about you this morning? What about you? Are you fulfilling your call that the Lord has for you? Are you being the salt of the earth? And let me just say this. This call is only possible to be fulfilled with the power that He gives us. What is Christ coming to do? He's coming to reform humanity. And the way that He's reformed humanity is by dying on a cross, rising again, and then sending His Spirit to enable men to carry out His Word. And a life that is wholly His is a life that He will wholly use for His glory. And a life that is used by Him, listen carefully, a life that is used for Him is a life that will have Great effect. 
Let's influence our society. Let's not pull back. Let's not despair. Let's not be a salt warehouse. Let's get the salt out of the shaker into the world. Let's influence our society in Jesus' name. Let's us together in some way possible, in any way possible, let's be the salt of the earth. And listen to me. Listen carefully. You are either salt and light, or you are death and darkness. And if you're dead this morning, if you're dead in sin, that is separating you from God, the message of Scripture is there is a higher calling for you. There is life waiting for you in Jesus' name. You don't have to be dead. You can go be the salt of the earth. You can be the light of the world. You can take this adventure, this life that God has called us to, and you can live it out however, wherever, for the glory of God. And the way for you to be restored is through Christ Jesus. Jesus, listen carefully, has called us to life. But you must receive Him by faith. I wonder this morning, how many of you here today, maybe for the first time, you're ready to receive Jesus by faith. You realize that you've been living your life in your own power you realize that you are dead in your sins, but you also see the grace of God, Jesus, offering you life. You have to receive Him by faith. You have to accept Him. You have to call upon Him, maybe even right now, and say, Oh Lord, save me. And trust that He'll do it. Maybe you're here this morning and you realize, you know what? You may have lost your flavor. This is a moment for you to come before God and agree with what He has said in His Word. He has said that you are the salt of the earth. Now it's time for you to own it. It's time for you to go to that schoolroom. It's time for you to go to that, that job that you have. It's time for you to go to your family. It's time for you to be the salt of the earth. Would you this morning pray and would you ask God, God, help me. We pray God will use this message for His glory in your life. If you would like more information, please feel free to contact us at info at oxfordbaptistchurch.com. Oxford Baptist Church is located in Oxford, Georgia. If you're close, we'd love to meet you.